Amen. Well, let's make our confession. This is our year of Jubilee. We expect manifestations of the Holy Ghost and power. We believe for financial miracles and miracles of healing in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to start this morning in Hosea chapter 4. Verse 6, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing that thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. I will also forget thy children. Notice it doesn't say that the unsaved are destroyed by a lack of knowledge. We would know that and be able to figure that out on our own. But God is speaking to his people and he says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Now the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 1 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And it goes further in that same first chapter of Proverbs to talk about wisdom and the relationship between wisdom and knowledge. And it says, because people reject knowledge and reject the call of wisdom, that wisdom will laugh when our trouble or calamity overtakes us. Jesus told a parable of a man sowing seed, sowing the word of God. And he talks about the different kinds of ground that the seed would fall in. And he's talking about the hearts of people. The first type of people he talks about is the, is the wayside. The seed doesn't take root there. The second type of people he calls stony ground. The word will take root there for a short period of time. But because it doesn't continue in the word, nothing is produced there. Then he talks about the third type of people, thorny ground. And then the fourth type, he identifies as good ground. But of the good ground, it produces 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Now, folks, if this is um, instruction to us as to how people operate, the four types of ground, each of the four types of ground makes up 25% of the population. But the good ground that produces the most, the hundredfold, the most is the most fertile of the ground. That works out to one-third of 25% that will produce fruit in its fullest form. That's 8% of the people. 
there's a tendency among the body of Christ that claims that you can't know what God's going to do. And there's a smugness to the attitude behind that. It becomes a denominational tradition that you just can't ever tell what God's going to do. And it seems that there are many that take that position that take pride in their belief of not knowing what God will do. But thank God we can know. One of the examples, a great example, is when God is dealing with Abraham. God appears to Abraham first when he's 75 years old, and he commands him to follow the direction that he gives him to move his family to what we know of will be the promised land. And God promises Abraham and Sarah that they'll have a son, but the time passes until Abraham is about 100 years old and Sarah's about 90 years old and they don't have the child of promise. So Abraham's been sitting on a promise of God for 24 years. And Genesis chapter 17 tells us of events that take place in Abraham's life and God interacting with him. He appears to him. In Genesis chapter 17, verse 15, And God said to Abraham, As for Sarah thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. Yeah, I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that's a hundred years old? And shall Sarah, that's nine years old, bear? And again in Genesis chapter 18, God appears to Abraham again. And he asks Abraham, Where is Sarah thy wife? Genesis 18, verse 9. And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah, thy wife, shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age. 
and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of the surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now if you compare the historical account that we have of God dealing with Abraham and Abraham's faith, if you compare that to Romans chapter 4, we see in the book of Romans that Abraham was strong in faith and he maintained his strength of faith by looking under the promise of God and not considering his body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. If you look at the comparison to Abraham and Sarah being dealt with by God concerning the birth of Isaac, Abraham hasn't, in Genesis chapter 17, hasn't learned to not consider his body now dead or Sarah's womb now dead. So whatever faith he started off with and when God first appeared to him at age 75, he certainly isn't maintaining that stand of faith or being strong in faith concerning the birth of his son, the promised one. So Abraham, through knowledge, has to change in order for the promise to be realized. He's got to change some of his thinking. He's got to change his attitude and change the words that he speaks. And Sarah does too. You may also remember when God appears to Moses fast forward 100, 400 years from Genesis 18 to Israel being enslaved to the Egyptians and one of the things that Moses says when God appears to him in the burning bush Moses is commanded by God to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. But Moses says, who will have they sent me? Moses didn't know who God was. He had some working knowledge of Abraham and the descendants of Abraham being the, the Israeli people. But he didn't know who God was. And God told him, I am that I am. He said, tell Pharaoh, I am sent me. Now, folks, we understand that God is identifying his willingness to do anything and everything that he's needed for by Moses and the people. 
And so when the plagues begin, each of the plagues is an exercise of power over or against the many gods of Egypt. The purpose for the plagues from Israel's point of view or I should say from God's point of view concerning Israel is to show that he's more powerful than any of the gods that they've seen all throughout their lives being worshipped by the Egyptians. And I'm sure idolatry has found its way into the lifestyles of the Israeli people while they were in Egypt. But Moses has to learn some things in order to be effective leader for the people of Israel. After the 10 plagues or the nine plagues and the Passover, Pharaoh lets them go, sends them forth out of the land. Psalm 105, verse 37 says, they left with silver and gold and not one feeble among them. But just in a short period of time, they come to the Red Sea Pharaoh has sent 600 of his chariots and the armies and the captains and so forth. And the people cry out. It looks like they're going to be destroyed. But Exodus chapter 14, verse 13, Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Now Moses has already learned through his time with God and the plagues that he has pronounced against the Egyptians He's learned that God will come through. And so that's what he's expecting. And that's what he says to the people to expect. Which seems to me to be an honorable position. But Exodus chapter 14, verse 15, the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou, criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they may go forward. So Moses is being directed by God to change his thinking and the knowledge that God brings to him from his word. God says, but lift up thy rod and stretch out thy hand over the sea and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. 
So Moses, after walking with God through the plagues and the destruction that comes upon the Egyptian people, Moses is looking for God to do the work, but God is looking for Moses to do the work in front of the people of Israel. And so Moses stretches out his rod over the sea and it parts. Children of Israel go across on dry ground. But then when when, uh, Pharaoh sees what's happening, he sends his chariots after them, fully intending to slaughter the children of Israel. But they're drowned in the sea. Not one of them is left alive. Now, folks, there are, there are different positions or operations of knowledge, the knowledge of God that God will lead us in. You remember in the fifth chapter of Mark, the story with the woman with the issue of blood. She has an issue of blood for 12 years. She spent everything she had with the medical doctors. She's come to the place where she doesn't have anything else. This infirmity of her flesh has left her completely broke. But the Bible says, when she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. Now Jesus spent only three years in ministry, and we don't know exactly when in his ministry, the woman with the issue of blood came and took hold of his garment. But she's had this infirmity for about 10 years before she ever hears of Jesus, before Jesus ever even starts his ministry. So whatever she hears of Jesus must have something to do with touching him because that's what she believes for. And she's going to have to change her thinking from the position of there's nobody that can help me. This issue of blood is going to take my life to come to the place where she believes that the healing power of God is available to her and for her 
Now the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 4 about Jesus coming to Nazareth, the town that he was brought up in. And he went to the synagogue and there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, folks, we know from comparing Luke chapter 4 and Mark chapter 6, Mark's account of his time in Nazareth tells us that he was unable to do any mighty works. He got a few folks healed of minor ailments, but that's all he was able to do. Now, we don't know for sure that Capernaum, which was a city he had already been to, one of the first cities that he ministered in. And the Bible tells us that in Capernaum, he got signs and wonders and great works and miracles to work among those people. Now, it would stand to reason that the same thing he preached in Nazareth would have been what he preached in Capernaum since it was his first time to both cities. Now again, we don't know that for sure. But Jesus seems to be aware, if we keep reading through the story, Jesus is aware of their unbelief, unwillingness to believe, really. And so it would make sense in my thinking for him to give them, being the people of Nazareth, the same opportunity as he gave the people in Capernaum. So their first time hearing that Jesus is anointed and sent to heal the sick and to minister to the people that are there in the city that he grew up in. They won't change their thinking. They refuse to change their thinking to what Jesus is leading them to believe. When he says, after he reads this, part of Isaiah he says to them this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears that means he tells them I'm here to do these things because these things are written that they will be done by the one that's sent and that's me so they reject the knowledge of God And to some degree, 
they perish. For that very reason. Now the Bible also tells us in Matthew chapter 8 about a leper that comes to Jesus and says to him, I believe that you can heal me if you will. So he needs to know something, something specific. Now that's something specific that he asked Jesus about is significant and able to change his life. Jesus just simply answers him and says, I will. And he reaches out, moves with compassion, and touches the man, and he's made whole. Now this guy, talking about the cripple or the leper, he's most probably never been in the service of Jesus. He's never been in a place where he received or heard about the mercy of God or the reason that Jesus is sent. Because if he had, then he wouldn't need to have confirmation from Jesus about whether or not Jesus was willing to heal him. Now, in most cases, where Jesus is able to perform signs and wonders and miracles of healing, the thing that is required in order to tap into and receive of the healing power of God, this is true then and it's true today, is that we must have faith, faith to receive it. That goes back to the good ground that we talked about before. And the degree to which results or fruit is brought forth has to do with the willingness of the people to take hold of the knowledge of God. Now, there are other things that the Bible tells us that are written to the church. Paul wrote to the Corinthians. And remember, he told them that they were partaking of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Doesn't have anything to do with their worthiness. Their worthiness was obtained by the precious blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus makes us worthy. But there was something that they were restricted 
They didn't know. They didn't have knowledge of the attitude that they were required to take hold of or the knowledge. They didn't understand that knowledge that they didn't have was required for them to benefit from the Lord's Supper. They didn't discern the body of Christ, which means one of two things. They either didn't count on or put faith in the fact that Jesus not only paid the price for sins, but with his stripes we are healed. They didn't put faith in that. Or another way of looking at discerning the Lord's body is that the body of Christ is made up of all of us. And so they must, they may not have been walking in love toward everyone. But whichever of these or the combination of these that it identifies, Paul wrote to them and said that was the reasons there were many in their church that were weak and sickly. And they didn't know what Paul told them that that wrong attitude toward Jesus paying the price for sins and sicknesses and or walking in love toward the rest of the body of Christ. They didn't know that's what had caused the premature deaths of many that were among them. In James chapter 1, James writes to us, concerning situations that the people were in, hard places, afflictions, troubles, and so forth. James 1, 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. So here's James by the Holy Ghost first thing that he writes in this letter that he writes to the Jewish Christians that have been scattered abroad by persecution. He writes to them and tells them it's important for them in the middle of hard places, in the middle of strife, in the middle of trouble, it was important that they know that the trying of our faith worketh patience. He goes on to say, but let them let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting or lacking nothing.
one of the greatest works of the Holy Ghost in our day in this church age is to show us where to change our thinking. Paul writes to the Romans Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Many translations say instead of reasonable service, spiritual worship. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove or experience what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God? So according to the knowledge of God, the greatest need in the body of Christ today is the need for our minds to be renewed. And the one sure way that we see and identify how to determine or experience the perfect will of God is through this transformation that results in knowing the will of God and thinking according to the knowledge that the Word of God brings to us. When I heard Brother Hagin, first time that I heard Brother Hagin talk about renewing your mind to the Word, and he gave some examples in his own life, and some of those examples were 50 years old, I remember that the first thought that I had was that it would take me forever to learn the Bible in such a way that I could renew my mind to the truth. But I found out over time that the renewed mind is not the word is not the mind that knows the word word for word. But the the renewed mind is simply looking in the middle of every situation, looking first to what does the Word say. The person that has a renewed mind is the person that has put the Word of God first. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20 says it this way, My son, attend to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. In other words, put the word of God in first place. Make it the most important part of your life. My son, attend to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not depart from before your eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart, 
For they, my words, are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. So the renewed mind is the person that has settled in their own life once and for all that the word is the most important thing that we need to know. Now we may not need or we may not have to our memory what truth we need to be operating under. But if we know that the word of God is the source of the knowledge of God, then if we apply ourselves to find out what it does say and how it does apply to our situation, then that's the renewing of the mind that will bring you into experiencing the power of God, the perfect will of God for your life. I think that every example of healing or miracles that Jesus performed or receiving of every promise that God has made to us will in every case and in every situation require of us to change our thinking in some way. For example, if we knew what the Word of God said, no matter what situation we encounter, then it's left to us very simply to just act on what the Word says. And there may be situations as we grow in God that we learn what to do in whatever situation we find ourselves in. Whether it's by having experienced it at a previous time in our Christian walk or not, it requires of us to change our thinking from defeatist to victorious. We see in certain situations in the four Gospels how that Jesus was in position to offer help to someone, but then the circumstances changed. You remember Jairus' daughter Jairus came to Jesus and asked him to help his daughter, which was at the point of death. And Jesus said that he would come to his house and heal her. And on the way, the story with the woman with the issue of blood takes place. And then immediately after, Jesus deals with the woman, or here's the story of the woman with the issue of blood. Somebody comes from Jairus' house and says, your daughter's dead. 
Don't trouble Jesus any further. Now we know what Jairus had done to begin with. As an act of faith, he came to enlist the aid of Jesus and Jesus agreed. So we know that he had knowledge and was walking according to the knowledge that he had that Jesus could heal the sick. But when the circumstance changed and he hears that his daughter is dead, where is he concerning or what does he believe concerning the raising of the dead? What does he need to believe concerning the raising of the dead or the raising of his daughter from death? You remember Jesus just said instantly before he had a chance, the father had a chance to say anything else. Jesus simply said, only believe. So the knowledge that came to Jairus is that there's nothing else that he needs to do. He had his faith in the right place, which was in Jesus. And that faith, I believe, must have received a boost from Jesus saying, just believe. That would have been the place where most of us could easily have come undone. But Jesus very simply said, only believe. And the end of the story, of course, is that Jesus got to Jairus' house, put everybody out of the house, called her back into her body, and she was raised from the dead and ate lunch with the rest of them. the 10 lepers that came to Jesus. Jesus really didn't do anything spectacular as far as the way he ministered to them. He simply told them to go to the temple or the synagogue and offer themselves for examination which is what the law of Moses dictated that should be done for a leper who is cleansed 
Now, Jesus didn't clean, cleanse them of leprosy before he told them to go to the, to the temple. But the Bible says that as they went, they were healed. One of them came back to where Jesus was. And Jesus questioned why only one of them and not all ten of them had returned. The one that returned had a different point of view than the others, even though they all received the same healing miracle. Jesus told him to go his way and fulfill the Mosaic law of offering the sacrifice and subjecting to the examination. Turn with me to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husband waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and has long patience for it until he receives the early and the latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your heart, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Now the coming of the Lord that he's talking about is the rapture. So we see that Jesus is waiting for one and only one thing before he comes back for the church and gathers us together takes us to heaven for the end of all things. Now if the here where it says the latter rain talking about the latter rain it's talking about a work of the Holy Spirit. So God is waiting for this precious fruit of the earth which has to do with people coming into the kingdom of God. If the only thing that he's waiting for is the precious fruit of the earth, which is brought about by the early and the latter rain, the move of the Holy Ghost, then I think there's something that we need to keep in mind. If the Holy Ghost is... given by God to bring people into the kingdom of God. It seems to me that we would understand that he would do a duplicate work just as he did when Jesus started his earthly ministry. to bring multitudes into the kingdom of heaven. 
Bible talks about the coming of Jesus, it says he's coming for a glorious church. What does he mean, a glorious church? Well, Jesus had a glorious ministry that brought people to a recognition and an understanding of God and his works. So it stands to that we would understand that the Holy Ghost's latter-day work is to perform signs and wonders just as were performed in Jesus when he was here. That he returned from being tempted of the devil into Galilee and there went a fame of him throughout all the regions and people came like the woman with issue of blood and like Jairus people came to him every day looking for and by faith receiving miracle working power of God for their benefit. I fully believe, folks, that the Holy Ghost will work through the church to do the works that Jesus did and even greater works because he went to the Father. I believe we will experience the working of the Holy Spirit in the just like it worked. He worked in Jesus in his earthly ministry. If he wouldn't do the same works, then why wouldn't he? He certainly was effective in the way that he worked through Jesus when he was here in his earthly ministry. I don't think over the 2,000 years that have taken place since Jesus went to the cross, I don't believe the Holy Ghost has learned any better way to glorify God the Father through signs and wonders and miracles. And that working of the Holy Ghost in the church, in us, for the benefit of the people of the earth if that's the only thing that's left to be done to bring about the precious food of the earth 
then we have quite a future to believe for and to look forward to. And Jesus said that we would do the same works that he did and even greater works. He said that the Holy Ghost would empower us just like he empowered Jesus. And we see again clearly that he's waiting for the precious fruit of the earth until he received the early and the latter rain, meaning the Holy Ghost that is identified by the rain. has a work to do to prepare the coming of the Lord. I think that that's going to require us to change some of our thinking. We're going to have to start thinking in miracles and the plan of God being consummated in order to cooperate and do our part in bringing about the precious fruit of the earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the knowledge that it brings us. It brings us a knowing of who you are and what you will do. Father, we thank you for the rain. We thank you that that rain, that moving of the Holy Ghost, ministers to people in a supernatural and perhaps even spectacular manner that brings about the precious fruit of the earth. We thank you, Lord. that you're coming back for a glorious church. We thank you, Father, for bringing us into the glory of God. For performing signs and wonders and miracles. In the precious and holy name of Jesus. 